Anybody still shivering? Yeah? It always takes a while, I think, for our bodies to adjust and for the uh, building to adjust with the uh, change uh, in weather. So if you're chilly, just kind of cozy on up to the person next to you, even if you don't know them or not, you know, get to know them a little bit better. Uh, but uh, we're glad you're here today. We're glad you're here with us at Genesis. My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis. And, and if you're a guest, uh, a special welcome to you. A couple of things before we get started this morning. Um, I don't know if how many of you know T-Rock, who's on our staff. Uh, you, maybe you've heard her name before, and uh, if you think that she's a hip-hop artist, uh, she's not. It's a nickname. I'm not exactly sure what the story is behind the name. But T-Rock oversees uh, all of our children's ministry, and one of the things that we've been working on together is to expand some of her influence into our student ministry as well. Uh, she's been doing that with high school students for a while now. But uh, we, are, we are working towards being to develop more and more our student ministry, middle school and high school. And some of you may know about this, but if you don't, if you're a parent to a middle school student immediately after the service today, uh, maybe five or ten minutes after the service up here in the front, we're going to have a quick informational meeting about some of the things that are happening with the middle school ministry. They're, they're starting places of some things that are coming, some things that we're excited about and praying about, a volunteer team that's coming together. So if you're a middle school parent, uh, come for a few minutes after the service today and we'd love to tell you a little bit more about what's happening. With that in mind, next Saturday night, we have a great event that's happening here at the church at 9 o'clock, if you dare to stay up that late, students do, Uh, but we are hosting the student ministry from White River Christian Church. Uh, They are going to be doing an event, and they are going to end up here at our facility next Saturday night at 9 o'clock for a concert. And we have invited them to come and to use our space, and we are inviting all of our middle school students and all of our high school students to come and to be a part of this event as well. And it's a great opportunity for us because not only are we going to host this student ministry in our building, but our students are going to serve them as they come for this event, participate with this event, but even in some of the setup and teardown, we are going to serve White River and their student ministry, and so this is an opportunity for our students uh, to be together. So we're excited about that. You can find more information about it uh, in the bulletin, and there's a contact, uh, some contact information if you do have some questions. Uh, but we're excited about this serving opportunity, and, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about generosity, and we've been talking about generosity, especially in the area of finances and what it means to have a, a financial plan and what it means to give. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about generosity in serving. It's all about our time and how we spend our time. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts. Go to the New Testament, and about halfway through the New Testament, you'll find the book of Acts. And Acts is a history book. It's a history book. It's a record of the Acts of the Apostles. It's a record of the doings of the Apostles and the early church and how the Holy Spirit worked through these people and through this church to bring about change and to extend the message of Jesus Christ throughout the world. The book of Acts opens in Acts chapter 1 with the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven and the chapters immediately following tell the story of how Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ, spread from the disciples to their friends to the city of Jerusalem and to the rest of the world. And so we're going to begin in Acts chapter 6 today, uh, looking at Acts chapter 6 verse 1. And when I get there, we'll get rolling. Should have marked my Bible before we started. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked 
in the daily distribution of food. So what do we learn from the text? We learn that the church was growing and it was growing rapidly. The Bible says that the number of disciples was increasing. And what that basically boils down to is that people were giving their lives to Jesus Christ. They, they were hearing the message and surrendering their hearts and, and being changed because of it. And so they were joining the church and the church was growing. It was getting big. Now let me explain. In the synagogue during this time, there was a routine custom. A routine custom where two collectors went around the market and the homes in the community every Friday morning and took a collection for the needy. They took up a collection for the needy, partly in money, partly in goods. And later in the day, these goods were distributed to various homes throughout the city. Those who were in temporary need at this time uh, received enough to carry them through. And those who were permanently unable to support themselves received enough meals for 14 days, or I'm sorry, 14 meals, which was equivalent to two meals a day for an entire week. And so that was the next time that the food came around. The fund from which this distribution was made was called the the kupa, or the basket. And in addition to this, a house-to-house collection was made every day, daily, for those who were needs were more pressing. And this was called the tamhui, or the, the tray. And it's clear from here in this text that the church here in Acts had taken over this custom and were providing food, were providing for the needs of the people in the community. And, but among the Jews, especially the Jews within the church, there was a problem. In the Christian church, there were two kinds of Jews. As the text tells us, there were the Jerusalem and the Palestinian Jews who spoke Aramaic or the Hebraic Jews, and, there were the, and they, provide, they prided themselves in being full-blooded Jews. There were also Jews from foreign countries who had come to Jerusalem for the Pentecost, heard the message of Jesus Christ and were changed and had maybe set up residence in the city of Jerusalem. And so they were outsiders and they spoke Greek. They were the Grecian Jews. And the Aramaic or the Hebraic Jews looked down on the Greek-speaking Jews because they were outsiders. I mean, this is ethnocentrism uh, that was most likely affecting the distribution of food equally to all who were in need. And so the complaining began, Uh, the finger-pointing began, and a problem arose in the church that needed to be addressed. Look at verse 2. It says, So the twelve, and notice it's with a capital T, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. These 12, or the original disciples, or as they are now called, the apostles, the leaders of the church, they were in charge of the affairs of the church, much like our elders are in charge of the the affairs of this church. They, They heard the problem. They listened to the problem. They recognized that there was a problem in the church that needed to be addressed, and they developed a plan, and they presented this plan to the church. And here's what they were basically saying. Hey, this is a problem. You know, there's no reason that anyone should go hungry. This is an example of ministry that is waiting to happen. And so we're going to respond as a church. And as the leaders of this church, we are not going to be the ones responsible for doing all of the work of this church. Uh, It's going to take every one of us. That's what the church is for. The church is made up of people who are willing to serve and give of their time. And you, you people of Jerusalem, you Christian church in Jerusalem, you are the church. Every single one of you, you are the church. You are going to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to help resolve this issue and to make sure that these widows and all widows are being fed. 
And this is, an, this is a great example in the book of Acts of the church at work. A church reaching out and serving the community. Men and women, teens, making themselves available to serve. And this idea of being a servant is exactly what Jesus taught and modeled. Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 to 28, it says, Instead, Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but what did he come to do? But to serve and to give his life as a ransom and as a ransom for many. So Jesus taught and he modeled servant living. And the people in this church in Acts were simply following Jesus. And so the apostles acknowledged the problem. And then they turned the problem, they turned the responsibility over to a group of volunteers to lead the ministry in order to correct the problem. Verse 3. Brothers, the apostles said, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of wisdom, or of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, not the guy from the Lion King, all right? Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And so here, it may just simply sound like a boring list of names. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency when I'm reading the Bible and I come to a long group of names to just try and get by it or even skip over those names as quickly as possible. But we can't do that. You have to stop right here. Because there's something very significant in the names of each of these men who step forward to address this problem. Here's what I want you to see. These are real people. They're just like you and me. Each person, each man listed here, his life meant something. Each person had a story. Each person had a testimony. Each one had a personality and all different kinds of characteristics. Some were extroverted, some were introverted, some were funny. But they all had one thing in common. They loved Jesus and they were ready to follow Him by being a servant in their community. And because of God's work in their life, they could think of nothing better to do than to sacrifice their own time and their own energy and to honor Jesus by serving. And you know, that's my prayer for this church. That's my prayer for the people of this church. First of all, that everyone who comes in here We'll never miss knowing the greatest message that we want to proclaim each week, and that is that Jesus Christ has come and he's given his life for, for forgiveness. And if you're willing to surrender your life to him and put your trust in him, he will forgive you and he promises a new life for all of us. And my hope and prayer is that as you come into this place and as you're just maybe checking out or even investigating Christianity or you know maybe you're here for all the wrong reasons, I don't know, but that you'll feel like you can come to be a part of this family. And join us as we just seek to be light to this community and the things that God has called us to do. But there's another prayer that I have for you. And that is that you will see yourself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Not just in the matters of what happens in this church week in and week out or on Sunday mornings or fulfilling a responsibility. Yeah, that counts. And it does and it means a lot. 
but that as you walk out of these doors every single week and you walk back into reality, whatever that may be for you, that you will always remember that you are a servant of Jesus Christ, ready and willing to be used at any moment's notice. And while serving you know, involves what happens here with Gen Kids or the band or the welcome team, it extends beyond this place into all that we do. But notice this, it's not what we do. It's what we're becoming. I like what Richard Foster says. He says, there's a difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. When I choose to serve, I retain control about who I serve. But when I choose to be a servant, I have given up all rights and all control. Serving isn't just what we do. It's who we are. It's who we are becoming. I remember when Jenny and I were dating in college, she surprised me one day, or at least she thought she did, in that she had four tickets to go see Celine Dion in Indianapolis. Yes, I know. And my wife is probably afraid that she's going to be pinned as the Celine Dion fan, but it was to be me and her and her mom and dad. But here was the problem. I had an intramural basketball game that exact same night. But as I was learning to be a servant, and as I was learning to be a better boyfriend, or with the hopes of, you know, maybe being married one day, which we did, uh, I had to give up that intramural game. But the hardest part of it all was actually going to my friends, these guys that I played basketball with, <laughs> to tell them, um, I'm not going to be there Tuesday night because we're going to, you know, to sing My Heart Will Go On with Celine Dion you know, down in Indianapolis. Again, it's, it's not necessarily who you are, it's, it's who you are becoming. And it's not right for us to always be on the receiving end of God's grace, you know, or the message or the hope of, you know, just absorbing it and just taking it in. At some point, we have to take it and we have to start passing it on to others. And God's love, it is good, it is beneficial, and He wants us to take it. He wants to do that for us. But here's what God wants to do in each of us. He wants to make us more like Jesus. He wants to take you and transform you to make you more and more like Jesus. And as Jesus came to serve the world, we are called to serve the world too. It's why we're still here, folks. And Jesus isn't coming back until he's ready. And he's waiting for us to help accomplish his work here in this world. We're called to serve. But let's be honest, it's not easy. You know, it's not easy to fulfill a responsibility. It's not easy to walk out of here and go back to school or go to your job or even to your neighborhood and to live as a servant. It's not always easy. So I started thinking about some excuses or some challenges that we face in wanting to be a servant or excuses that I've made for not serving. And here's one of the excuses that we often hear. The first one is that I'm, I'm unable you know, who, who am I? I, I? I'm unable. You know, when the apostles went looking for men to lead this ministry, I wonder if they got some no's first. You know, did the first seven all say yes, or did they get some hey? You know, I, I can't do that. I don't know anything about organizing or assembling people to pass out food. I mean, have you seen my garage? I mean, just go take a look at my garage, and you'll see that I'm in no place to organize. And maybe you've said no to some opportunities, you know, feeling unqualified or inadequate, or, or you've questioned whether God has even gifted you to serve. And if that's where you are at, and I've been there, I want to say this. That's how Moses felt when God called him to go and deliver the people from Egypt. He said, God, I'm not a good speecher, you know, I, I, I don't know how to get up in front of the people and talk. 
Or, you know, when God called Gideon and Gideon said, hey, I'm the least in my family. I'm, I am not even the most impressive of all of my family members. And God said to, to Moses and he said to Gideon, he said, you may think you're unable, but you're able. And every member of God's church has been given, you know, gifts and abilities. But here's the thing, like Moses and like Gideon, when you feel like you are unable, chances are you are at just the right place for God to use you. You're right, your heart's right, you're ready to go when we find that in us that we're going to need God's power to flow through us. And so we've been given these gifts and abilities and and there's a difference between the two. You know, gifts are natural abilities that you're born with or gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you. And and the Bible teaches us that God has given to every believer some some natural abilities, some gifts that that we are to use. And and gifts are not something that we had necessarily anything to do with. We didn't develop them. We didn't learn them. It's just what God has given us. And there are all sorts of gifts. Some have the gift of singing. Some have the gift of teaching or administration or showing compassion and mercy. These are already in us. That doesn't mean that we can't kind of grow in them or or, or get better with those gifts, but they are gifts from God. And God has given you your gifts, not so that you can use your gifts to simply build up yourself, but he's given you those gifts so that you can use them, that you can serve and use those gifts to glorify God and encourage others. Romans chapter 12 verse 6 says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. Each of us has different gifts given by God. Now, abilities are different, and the Bible calls them skills. And these are things you learn to do, and maybe you use your skills to help with audio and tech needs, or maybe you use your computer skills to help in the office or to help with the church website, or maybe you use your carpentry skills to construct this facility or to go out onto a missions trip and and to do some some work. And you take these skills and you say, God, I am going to use these abilities that I have learned, and I am going to use these abilities to serve you. And there are people all over this church that are using their gifts and their abilities every week, whether it be in worship or in various building and construction needs around our church. Uh, We had a a small group here just this past week that that was helping to paint our early childhood area that we're doing uh, some refurbishing in. Others are out serving in the community right now, doing different things in various agencies or in schools. These count. These matter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to do what? To serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And so God has given you these gifts and these abilities so that you can serve him. And so the next time you feel incapable, the next time you feel inadequate or even unable, remember what one writer said, The difference between Uncle Sam and Jesus Christ is that Uncle Sam won't enlist you unless you are healthy, and Jesus won't enlist you unless you are sick. God is not looking for people who are overly confident in their abilities. He's looking for people who are willing, willing to be servants. Are you willing? Another excuse for not serving is, I am unavailable. I'm too busy. I've got too much going on. When things slow down, I'll find a place to serve. You know, what's our tendency? Our tendency is to serve our own needs, you know, when it's convenient or to do things that we really like doing. When someone asks me, do you want to help me move? 
Well, there's an answer kind of welling up inside of me. Of course I want to help you move, but, you know, I've got other things going on. But on the same day, if someone invites me to go see a basketball game, I'll do everything that I can to rearrange my schedule, you know, in order to go see this game. It's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like when we sit down with our boys to eat at the dinner table and they start playing with their food and talking about how it looks yucky or it smells funny or they're not hungry or their stomach hurts. But everything changes when the ice cream comes out of the refrigerator. It's like two kids that are malnourished, you know, that are just waiting to eat and, and attitudes change all of a sudden. I mean, in many ways, we control our availability, And these men here in Acts, these seven men who raised their hand in their willingness to serve, they didn't play the busy card. God was working in their life, and He was changing them to become more like Jesus. And when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, when you surrendered yourself to Him, He began changing you. And He is transforming you to become the man or the woman that He wants you to be. I like how Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says it in the message. It says, so here's what I want you to do. This is what it looks like. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. So here's what this means to me. Paul, here's what it means to be a servant, and I'll help you do this. It's not up to you. Take your everyday life. Take every minute of every day that you live, when you're at home with the kids, when you're alone with your wife, when you're eating in public, when you're meeting people in the community, when you encounter someone who's hurting or or devastated, when you're playing basketball with a group of guys, take these moments and don't ever forget that you are a servant of Jesus Christ and that you serve God in every aspect of everything that you do. Every moment may be an opportunity to serve one. And so take hold of everything that God has done for you and you pass His love onto others. Just be a servant and be available. Serving God means taking ordinary, everyday life each minute, and surrendering it to God. It's, it's laying your life as an offering before God and saying, I'm available. I'm ready to be used. One more excuse, and, and I think this is the most significant of the three, is that I'm unnecessary. I mean, does it really matter? I mean, do I, do, do I really have a part in this? Is it a big deal? My guess is that many of you voted in the election this past Tuesday, but there are probably some of you who chose not to because you believe that, you know what, my, my vote doesn't really count, it's not going to matter, this election's going to go whichever way it's going to go, regardless of whether I vote or not. I've got two friends, two friends, one who was planning to vote for McCain, one who was planning to vote for Obama, they lived in the same state. And here's what they decided to do, or even talked about doing. And that is, why don't we just not vote? Because if you think about it, our votes are simply going to cancel each other out in the first place, and so we can avoid the lines and just not vote altogether. Okay? It's true. I mean, there's some great logic in it. Now, I don't know what they ended up deciding to do, but it was just something that they had thought about. 
And it's easy to think of your life like this, that your service doesn't count or the things that you don't do, that you do don't really matter, especially when it comes to serving in the church. And we'll talk more about this next week, but even in a church this size, it's easy to think that your effort doesn't really matter in ministry. You know, I, I just take care, care of kids in the nursery. You know, I'm just changing poopy diapers. You know, how does that count? How does that add up? Or, or I scrub the toilets and empty the trash and mop that floor. You know, no one ever really notices anyway. Why does that really count? And you think your help is not needed. And sadly, some of you have offered to help serve in the past, and maybe you even signed up for something and you weren't contacted. And I apologize for that, for whatever reason that that took place. But in some way, that just led you to believe that, you know what, I, I must not really be necessary. It must not really matter. Or maybe you know this serving thing and you understand what it means to live as light in the world in everyday circumstances. And, and you've tried to talk about your faith. You've tried to talk to a friend or a family member. You've tried to talk to a neighbor. You've invited others to Genesis. You've prayed for God to create conversations around you with coworkers, and you always end up frustrated. You are so tired of asking with little to no results that you're about ready to be done, and it's like, what's the point? I don't have what it takes. Can I just encourage you with this this morning? Every person, every life, every moment, every conversation, every act of love, it all counts it all adds up they all count romans chapter 12 verses 4 and 5 says just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function so in christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all others here's what that means you know my foot would be good for nothing if I didn't have an ankle. My hand would not be as nearly useful if I didn't have a thumb. My head would not be able to turn from side to side if it weren't for my neck. And God's body, that's the church, that's you and me, God's body is comprised of many different people, different ages, men and women, students, children, with different skills, and gifts, and abilities, and every life counts. Every heart surrendered matters. Every part essential to the health and the function of the larger body. Every person is necessary, and here's the best part. These body parts have names. They're all servants. Servants like my good friend Eric, who came down this past week to paint with me. We painted for 19 hours straight. Eric is an unbelievable servant. And he not only does it for me, but he does it for others. Eric is more than a painter. Eric is a servant. Or it's like my friend Dave, who eats lunch at the same restaurants every single week just so that he can get to know the people who work there. And he writes their names down and he learns them so that he knows them when he goes in. Dave is a servant. It's like my friend Lauren from Louisville, a veterinarian, who quit her position to move to Baltimore to help plant a church with another group of people. Lauren is more than a veterinarian. She's a servant. It's like my wife, who gives of herself constantly 
to care for our children so that I can do the things that are necessary to help serve in this church. She's not just a wife or not just a mom. My wife is a servant. Or it's like Ashley Elliott, who's one of our high school seniors, who this morning is in Belize serving with a group of people to some needy homes and some t- to some needy families. She's more than a high school senior. Ashley's a servant. It's like people like Kaylee and Nick and other students who I've seen doing various things throughout the church, again, servants. Or John Elzinga, who recently made the light covers for the atrium and saved the church a bunch of money. John, you're a servant. It's like Ben and Beth Ann Krause, and I don't know how many of you realize this, but as of a couple of weeks ago, they have served here at Genesis for five years now. Five years. Why do they do it? Because they love God and they love the people of this church. Ben and Beth Ann are servants. I like how the Apostle Paul used to open many of his epistles, or if you read his epistles, it's, it's still there. He, he writes, I, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is a servant. And there are others, and I can only name so many names, but I'll keep naming names. But these seven men in Acts, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, servants, each with their own story, each with their own gifts, skills, and calling. Look at verse 7 last time. All these men have come together. They've realized, they've recognized the problem. They're ready to address it with these food handouts. What does verse 7 say? So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Did you catch it? The word of God spread. Through what? Food handouts. Through men and women who were willing to step forward and to use their gifts and their time to serve Jesus Christ. This is the advance. This is the church at work. This is the spread of the gospel. The church is growing. The widows are fed. The church is meeting the needs of the community. People are coming to know Christ. And did it have anything to do with the really cool worship service? No. Was it because of a great sermon that they heard preached? No. Was it a great band? No. Was it a really cool building? No. What led to the change? It was the power of God working mightily through men and women living as servants in this world. Friends, we have a message of hope and love waiting to share with the people of this community. You've got a coworker, you've got a lab partner. You've got a friend, you've got a sibling, you've got a neighbor, and even a friend who you might meet in the waiting room of your pediatrician's office. And they are waiting for you to see yourself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can carry that message of hope and salvation to all that you come into contact with. And so will you allow God to make you a servant? And as you learn to let his love extend and advance through you, will you enjoy seeing this message of hope of salvation 
carried to the people of this community and this county as they see the light of Jesus Christ. We're going to close with this song. It's a song entitled, God of the City, and there's a, a story behind this song. There were a group of guys who played for a band called Blue Tree that traveled to Pattaya, Thailand for a missions trip. And there's this street in Pattaya that is famous in this area of Southeast Asia to being home to over one street, 30,000 female prostitutes. One city, one street, 30,000. This doesn't even include the number of children or the number of male prostitutes in this city. And these guys, with their band, had been invited to take their Christian music to play in this bar on this street in the middle of this, of this city, in the middle of all of this insanity. And thinking it would be cool to play their music in the middle of all this madness, they went. But the bar owner, he had one request. He said, I'll let you come. I'll let you play all the Christian music you want to play. Just make sure that your people buy lots of Coca-Colas. And so they came, and for the next two hours, they sang. And with all the madness that was taking place outside on the streets, they began singing praises to God. And in that two-hour period, there was a song that was written. A song, as the one uh, band member said, it was almost as if this song came down out of heaven. But it was this song entitled, God of this City. Now, while I am sure that it exists, and maybe definitely not to the extent that it exists in Thailand, we may not face that same problem of prostitution here in Hamilton County. But there are people in this county who are giving their lives and their bodies away to things other than Jesus Christ. And we, as this Genesis Church community, we, you and me, have been called to reach those people. You and I have been called as servants of God to bring light to our friends. Will you stand together and let's sing the song together here this morning as we close.